Well, it's uh, lovely to be back among you all this morning. Uh, we've really appreciated the time that we, times that we've been able to come here, and uh, we look forward to uh, talking with you some more after afterwards. Um, and uh, but we're going to be spending some time now in God's Word. We're going to especially be um, looking at um, Enoch. Um, and um, this is going on, for those of you who were here when I spoke about six weeks ago, uh, we looked at um, Hebrews 11, the heroes of the faith, and especially we looked at the first of those heroes of the faith, which was Abel. Um, and so today we're kind of going on with that and looking at the second one who's mentioned there in Hebrews 11, which is Enoch. So I want to begin just by reading one more scripture reading for us. Uh, which is Hebrews 11, verses 1 to 6. And uh, I've got my... Um, oh, hang on, we've got an ESV here, so I'll, I'll read from that. Um, so Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 6. The writer of Hebrews says to us, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is God's word. Let's bow our heads once more and ask him to bless it to us as we come to look at it now. Let's just pray. Lord God in heaven, we thank you that your word assures us that wherever two or three are gathered together, there you are in the midst. And we pray that that will be so for us here today. We ask that you would be present with us. We ask especially that your Holy Spirit would be present with us, that he might be present with me, that everything that I say will be according to your word, that it will be what you would have me to say, and that he might be present with all of us to hear and to understand uh, that your word might bear the fruit in each of us that it is meant to bear this day. And we pray that through it all your name might be glorified. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, we're here once again in, in Hebrews 11. And uh, if you read the whole of Hebrews 11, you might title this chapter The Heroes of the Faith. Uh, this is this long list of those faithful men and women of the Old Testament that we have here in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, the writer of Hebrews 
ties our hope, our hope of salvation, our hope of eternal life to faith, just as the New Testament consistently does everywhere else. Right there at the beginning of chapter 11, verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There is so much, isn't there, that we've not yet seen, so much that we hope for. We've not yet seen the day when we are no longer vexed and tormented by our own sin, but we hope to. We've not yet seen the day when all justice is finally satisfied, when all the power of evil is finally destroyed forever, but we hope to. We've not yet seen the great multitude of all Christ's people finally gathered together from all peoples and tribes and tongues and nations, but we hope to. We've not yet seen heaven, but we hope to. We've not yet seen Christ in the flesh, but we hope to. We've not yet seen the glory of Almighty God, but we hope to. All these things and and so much more, they are a part of our Christian hope. We've not yet seen these things, but we confidently hope to do so. On what basis? On what basis do we hope for these things? What, What are the grounds that we have for hoping confidently and certainly that one day all these things will be ours? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. Um, That's the ESV. It's interesting if you go to some different versions, you'll see some slightly different words used for those same things. The NIV says, now faith is the confidence of things hoped for, the assurance of things not seen. And the, the New King James says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen take it all together and and we get the idea that the the thing that assures us that our hope has substance, the evidence that convicts and convinces us that we are not foolishly reaching for an impossible daydream is our faith. That's what the writer of Hebrews is asserting here for us. And then he goes on and he gives us one example after another after another of what this faith looks like in practice. And last time, as I said, we we looked at Abel, who, who is the first hero named. And Abel was the first person ever to die, if you remember, dying through being murdered. But he was also the first one ever to be declared righteous by God on account of his faith. The very first person to die was declared righteous by God on account of his faith. Abel offers the first recorded blood sacrifice and it's accepted by God and and thus it's demonstrated to us that from the very beginning God was telling us sinners that there is a way to escape from our sin. And that way is through a substitutionary sacrifice. That way is through another dying in our place, taking the penalty for our sin, the penalty that we deserve. You see, Abel 
didn't know all the stuff that we know. Abel only had the beginning of Revelation, if you like. He didn't have the whole of the Old and New Testament to, to teach him what we, we now know. But he knew enough. He, he understood this most fundamental part, this most fundamental point of our faith. And he trusted in the God who offered salvation through the sacrifice of another. And so he is declared by God to be righteous. He is made righteous by faith. That's Abel that we looked at last time. And so, as I said, this morning I want to take a look at the second example that's here in in Hebrews 11, Enoch. Let's just reread verses 5 and 6 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, here's another person that, like Abel, we know very little about. The Bible doesn't say a whole lot to us about Enoch, but it says enough And here he is named with these heroes of the faith. So what is it about Enoch that makes him a worthy example for us to learn from? Well, I want to mention three points. You know, your sermon's got to have three points. Well, maybe not always. But firstly, Enoch walked with God. Secondly, Enoch exercised faith in a deteriorating society. And thirdly, Enoch lives. Enoch walked with God. Enoch exercised faith in a deteriorating society. And Enoch lives. So firstly, Enoch walked with God. That's the first thing that I would like us to see about him here. Now, if you go back to that reading from Genesis chapter 5, that long list of the genealogy of Noah that Paul read for us, you couldn't have missed that there's a pattern there. So just take Seth, for example, verses 6 to 8. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he had fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. And then that's exactly the same for Enosh. Enosh lived X years and he fathered Canaan and after that he lived Y years and he had sons and daughters and so all his days were Z years and he died and so on and so on. That's the pattern all the way through. It's the pattern all the way through until you get to Enoch. And there the pattern's broken, isn't it? Verses 21 to 24. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch walked with God. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was done before Jesus was born, and that Paul and Peter and the rest of the New Testament church mostly used, That Hebrew idiom, Enoch walked with God, that idiom has been translated as Enoch 
pleased God in the Septuagint. And that's why the writer of Hebrews puts it that way in Hebrews 11 verse 5. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. That's a direct translation from the, sorry, a direct quote from the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So Enoch walked with God. Enoch pleased God. Let's dig into that a little bit more. Let's think about that a little more. Firstly, let's notice this. That was the pattern of Enoch's life. It actually says here that Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years. Enoch didn't just visit with God occasionally. Enoch... Its walk with God was continual, it was constant, it was a part of him, it was central to his life. It was what people who got to know Enoch thought of him. This is a man who is always with God, this is a man who walks with God, this is the constant pattern of his life. That's the first thing to notice. Secondly, let's notice that this was a personal thing, this was a personal relationship with God. This whole idea of walking with God implies that very strongly, doesn't it? It's a personal thing. Enoch spent time with God. Enoch valued his relationship with God. He stayed close to God. He couldn't get enough of God. This is a close thing. It's, a, it's an intimate thing. It's a personal relationship. And, and the Septuagint's rendering, Enoch pleased God, that, that implies that as well, doesn't it? Enoch was pleasing to God. God was pleased with this man. The relationship that Enoch had with God was a precious one. It was God loving Enoch and Enoch loving God. The third thing I'd like us to notice about this relationship is that it took effort We read there in Hebrews 11, verse 6, For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That's the ESV. I think in this particular case, the NIV and the uh, New King James are a little better because they have those who earnestly seek him or those who diligently seek him. It's It's a strong kind of seeking. He rewards those who diligently seek him. Enoch diligently sought God. He earnestly sought God. He put effort into this walking with God. He was devoted to seeking God. So these are the things we can see. We see that Enoch sought God diligently. He rejoiced in a personal relationship with God. And he was constant in this. It wasn't just occasional. It was all the time. And so if we want to ask, well, what makes, what makes this particular hero of the faith someone from which we ought to learn, an example worthy to be recorded here, surely this is it. That real biblical faith is personal. It's personal. It involves a personal two-way relationship with a personal loving God. And this is so important, isn't it, to our understanding of faith? You know, we say we, we have faith. We, we say we believe. But 
what do we believe in? What do we believe? We don't just believe that a particular collection of historical facts are true. We don't just believe in a particular system of theology. We don't just believe that God is God and we are sinners. We don't even just believe that God is a loving, gracious God who has made a way of escape from sin and that that way of escape is through Jesus dying on the cross for sin in our place. You know, all those things are true and we not only should believe them, we must believe them. And yet our faith is not just belief in the facts. There's more to it than that. Our faith is belief in the person. Our faith is belief in God, the, the personal God. Our faith is in Christ, the personal Christ. You see, we don't just assent in our minds to the facts about God. We have a personal relationship with him. We know God. We love God. We walk with God. We walk with God like, like Enoch did. Because we have this real personal two-way relationship with him. And that's why the writer of Hebrews can say those words there in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance or the substance of the things of things hoped for, the confidence or the evidence of things not seen. You see, the writer of Hebrews pictures faith for us here as, as something real and solid. He pictures it as proof, as something that we can lean on and depend on utterly. Now, the thing is, you say that to a person who's not a Christian and they will laugh at you. They will say... What kind of evidence is that? What sort of proof is that? How can faith be evidence of anything? Faith is just blind. Faith is just faith. How can it be evidence of anything? Well, it can be if it is faith in a person. If it is faith that is based on a relationship with a person if it is belief in a person, if it is that real personal two-way relationship with that person, you know, if we know and love a person well, if we have learned that we can trust them, if we believe their words, if we are assured of that relationship, that is the most solid and substantial evidence anybody could ever want. And so I... Ask you, you who say you are a Christian, as I think most of us here do this morning, I would ask you, do you walk with God? Do you know Him? Do you love Him? Is your relationship with Him real? Is He real to you? And to any of you who might say, no, I'm not a Christian, I would ask you, I would say, well, why ever not? Why ever not? Why would you not trust in this God, this Saviour? Why would you not walk with him? Why would you not diligently seek him? 
Why would you stay far off from him when, when he is the one who calls you to himself, who calls you to trust in him and assures you of your warm reception with him? He's the one who assures you that he will give whatever it takes to save you from your wretched, sinful state. He's the one who assures you that he will bring you into his own family as his beloved daughter or his beloved son. Why would you not come to such a one who says, Come to me and I will make you my own. I will love you forever and ever. Come and walk with me. Come and be mine. Why would you not seek such a one? Enoch walked with God. Secondly, Enoch exercised faith in a deteriorating society. Now, why do I say that? I say that because of the testimony of Jude. Enoch's not mentioned too many places in the Bible, but one of the other places was that little passage that we read there from Jude. Jude is seriously rebuking the false teachers in the New Testament church. The whole little letter of Jude is, is a rebuke. And, um, and he, he's, he's giving this strong rebuke, and then he says in verses 14 and 15... Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these ones. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. See, Jude says, Enoch was a prophet of God. And what was Enoch's prophetic message? Judgment. Enoch's prophetic message was one of judgment for sin. And, and that's a universal message, isn't it? And so it's one that could be applied down through the ages, just as Jude applies it here to these New Testament false teachers who are twisting the gospel. But surely it was especially a message for the people in Enoch's own day that Enoch was given this message of judgment. Now, presumably, things weren't yet quite as bad as they were going to become in the time of Enoch's great-grandson, Noah. In Enoch's time, there were still some centuries to go before God would declare that mankind was so sinful that he was sorry he had made them. And so he would destroy them from the face of the earth except for Noah and his family. There were still some centuries to go before that low point. Nevertheless, things were serious enough that Enoch, the most godly man of his age, was given a message of judgment to proclaim. And that means that even then, Enoch's faith was something that by and large was not to be found in the society of his day, doesn't it? That shouldn't surprise us. The Bible's very clear that there are many that walk the broad path of destruction, hurrying to hell. And there are only a few that walk the straight and narrow path to heaven. It's always been so. It's so in every age, in every society. The message of judgment is one that is always needed because the ungodly are always many. And so Enoch 
walked by faith in a deteriorating society. And for us, as we think about Enoch today, we shouldn't be surprised to find ourselves surrounded by ungodliness. We should certainly rejoice on those unusual occasions when that's not so, those unusual special occasions when God gives special reviving grace to a particular community or region or country. And God does do that from time to time, doesn't he? He, he does pour out his Holy Spirit in a mighty way from time to time so that many are saved and, and society for a time in that place or region is renewed and refreshed and, and people look at it and say, look what God can do. And the name of God is greatly lifted up at such times and we should look forward to such times. It's why it's a wonderful idea for us to pray for revival because God has given these times of revival in the past and by grace he might do so again. And how wonderful when those times do come. But at the same time we shouldn't be surprised to find it otherwise. We shouldn't be surprised to find ourselves in a society that seems determined to invite more and more judgment upon itself in the present time. Well, what are we to do at such times? Surely we're to have a faith as obvious as the faith of Enoch. Surely we are to seek to be known as those who walk with God. Our faith is to be an obvious faith. We're called to be salt and light in a society that desperately needs salt and light. Enoch was faithful to God. He walked with God and he faithfully declared God's message of judgment to those around about him, even although it would have been an unpopular message. And we should never be afraid to do the same. So Enoch walked with God in a deteriorating society. But then thirdly, for our, fourth, uh, our third and final point, Enoch lives. This is where we come to the most object, obvious and unusual point of, uh, or aspect, I should say, of Enoch's life. The author of Hebrews says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. All those other ones there in, in Genesis, you know, that, that passage there in Genesis 5, you know, Seth, you know, he lived so long and he had so and so and then he had so many more kids and he lived so much longer and then, and he died. Next one, and he died. Next one, and he died. Not Enoch. Enoch didn't die. He's, just, he's one of just two people in the whole of scripture who pass into heaven without dying, the other being the prophet Elijah. Enoch did not see death. Enoch lives. Now, to fully appreciate the impact that that event would have had at the time, we're going to do a little mathematics. I'm sure you all love your maths. When you, when you add up the numbers from Adam to Enoch, and by the way, all that repetitiveness there in Genesis 5, you know, all those names being mentioned about three or four times with each of those you know, lines as you work, work your way down through Genesis 5, we can say to ourselves, hey, why is that there? That's there to make it clear that this is a genuine historical record, that we're meant to take it as serious, seriously, that it's not just representative, it's, it's meant to 
flow right through because it's so clear, isn't it? You know, from Seth to Enosh and so on and so on and so on. So the mass, it's, it's right to do the mass. And, and when you add up the numbers from Adam to Enoch, what you'll find is that Enoch was born in the year 622 after creation. In other words, when Enoch was born, Adam was still alive. In fact, Adam would continue to be alive for another 300 years or so. Adam would die only 57 years before Enoch was taken up. Adam's son Seth and all the rest of Enoch's forebears were still alive at the time Enoch was taken up into heaven. Now, when you really think about that for a minute, just think about that a bit further and think about the fact that a typical life span for people in that era prior to the flood seems to have been around 900 years or so. What we realise is that it was only during Enoch's lifetime that the true effects of the fall really became evident. Yes, people had certainly died before that. They had died from murder like Abel. They would have died from accident. They would have perhaps died from sickness, some of them. But it would have only been towards the end of Enoch's time on earth that it began to be common for people to die of old age. Just think about that. Until that time, in fact, people probably really had no idea of just how long they were likely to live. And so that last 60 years or so of Enoch's time on earth, that would have been a time when the whole population of the world was beginning to face the reality of the fact that they would all one day inevitably wear out and die. They're all beginning to face that. Old age is coming for us all. You see, the the curse of sin, the, the curse of the fall, it was being visibly demonstrated in the aging, failing bodies of Adam and the couple of generations that followed Adam. And so the fact that Enoch was taken up by God and did not die, that would surely have had enormous impact. Here is one who is escaping the effects of the fall. Here is one who is escaping the gradual decay and the failing of his body. As everyone else is coming to terms with that grim reality, here is one who demonstrates a far better reality, that those who are dying may yet live. Those who walk with God may yet live. Enoch lives. How? Or by faith. That's what the writer of Hebrews tells us. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. It was Enoch's faith that made the difference for him. Through faith, Enoch yet lives. And what a picture that is for us. What an example that is for us. Through faith, we also may live. We don't expect to escape passing through that gateway of death... Unless, as Enoch did, unless it should be that the Lord returns before the end of our lives. But we may expect to receive the same eternal life that Enoch has received. 
We may expect to go to the same place that Enoch has gone. If we walk with God in faith here on earth, we may confidently hope that in God's perfect timing, he will take us to himself so that we may continue to walk with him in heaven. But only if we're walking with him now. Only if we have faith in him now. Only if we have that personal relationship with him now. I hope you all do. But if any one of you does not, let me remind you once more about what the writer of Hebrews says here. He says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Let me emphasise that without faith in God, it is impossible to please him. Without faith in Christ, you cannot please God. That's the warning. That's the warning, but then there's the promise. The hope that's held out in the rest of that sentence, he rewards those who diligently seek him. That's the That's the message of the gospel, isn't it? It comes to us in so many different ways. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Scripture tells us to seek God and tells us that he will be glad to be found by us. And So if you don't yet know that you're a child of God, well, seek him. Make that your great goal of your life. That's the most important thing you can possibly do. Seek God. Don't rest until you know that he's yours. Seek him and then walk with him. And he will take you to himself. And then you will live just as Enoch even now lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, How we thank you that through faith you offer us life. How we thank you for the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus who makes it all possible for us, dying on the cross in our place, the sacrifice to atone for our sin. How we thank you for the example of Enoch, a man who walked with you all the days of his life until you took him to to yourself. And how we thank you for the confidence that we can have, for the sure hope that is ours, that as we believe, as we have that faith, as we walk with you, so we also may look forward to being taken to yourself in your perfect time. Make that so for every one of us, we pray. And enable us to be those who genuinely walk with you day by day, not just visiting with you from time to time, but walking with you every day of our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.